Well, before we get started with the message, how about we start with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the great and awesome God that you are. Thank you for being our creator. Thank you for being our redeemer. And thank you for the life that you give to us. Lord, I I thank you for this message that you've given. I pray, Lord, that it would bless us. Help us to remember to have an attitude of gratitude. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know. Have you been in the stores lately? Has anybody been in the store lately? Did you go in there, uh, say, a, a few weeks ago? Uh, you noticed uh, there was there was uh, thank you there was a a lot of decorations for what I call an unholy day. We just had it, you know, where they give out a lot of candy. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then right after, it seemed like almost the day after. Immediate. We on? We on now? Hey, there we go. Almost immediately, it seemed to me that I noticed Christmas decorations go up overnight. Did you, did you notice that, or was it just me? And I thought, you know, it seems to me that there's another holiday between those two. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe, maybe am I wrong? There seems like there, there, there's a, an almost forgotten holiday called Thanksgiving. Have you heard of that? Have you guys heard of that? And I thought, well, you know, I can understand from a retailer's perspective, there's not a whole lot of money to be made in Thanksgiving. Halloween is a multi-billion dollar industry. Christmas is even bigger. But Thanksgiving, I mean, unless you're a turkey farmer, you know, or, 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 or uh, a cornbread uh, maker, you know, or something like that, a uh, pumpkin pie producer, there's not a whole lot of money to be made in that holiday. But what does that say about us as a people? You know, it wasn't uh, until the 19th century that we actually started observing Thanksgiving as a national holiday. I don't know if you realize that or not. The president was a guy you might have heard of before, Abraham Lincoln. And what I found interesting was when he brought this about. He first started talking about having it as a national holiday on October 3rd, 1863. And the first observance as a national holiday took place that same very year on November 26th. It was the last Thursday of November. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Pastor. It's always the third Thursday. Well, no, then it wasn't. But that's a whole other story. We don't have time to get into that. Do you you know what was happening in 1863? Yeah, but it wasn't the beginning of the Civil War. The beginning of the Civil War took place on April 12th, 1861. And the end of it took place on May 9th, 1865. So right in the heart 
of a civil war taking place in this country where North was fighting against South. Brothers were fighting against brothers. Families against families. In the very heart of the bloodiest conflict, I don't know if you realize that, the bloodiest conflict in U.S. history, over 600,000 Americans died in the Civil War. 600,000. More than World War II. And Korea and Vietnam combined. Right in the heart of that, Abraham Lincoln saw the necessity for a day of thanksgiving. I think that's amazing. You know, the history goes back further. How many of you heard the story of the pilgrims? Did you hear that in school? Yeah, I heard that. Going back just a little while earlier, before Abraham Lincoln, was George Washington. George Washington had the country celebrate Thanksgiving in September 8, uh, I mean, sorry, in uh, November of 1789. But it was just that year that they did it, and then they didn't do it again until 1863 when Abraham Lincoln instituted this national holiday. The very first occasion which it took place, which is the story of the pilgrims that you're familiar with, took place in 1621 at Plymouth Rock. And you know, here's the interesting thing. That celebration lasted three days. How would you like to have Thanksgiving for three days? The menu was a little different than what we're accustomed to today. One of the things that was on the menu was venison. Now I'm going to take a shot at this. I'm glad I'm not the only one that stumbles with names. But I'm going to take a shot at this. And if there's any of you from this native tribe, and I mispronounce it, please forgive me. The Wampanoags. Wampanoags. Okay, Wampanoags. They were, the, they, they were the Native Americans that, that brought those, they brought five deers with them, five deer they had killed to the feast. And the menu didn't include pumpkin pie or any of the desserts that we're familiar with today. Sorry about that for those of you who are thinking about all that. So I thought about this. I started thinking about Thanksgiving. And I started thinking, you know, why don't we, as a people, observe Thanksgiving? Why aren't we thankful? Have you noticed that there's a spirit of, um, not a spirit of gratitude for much in, a, in, in this country anymore? That we seem to be more and more ungrateful? I think as we stray further and further away from being a Christian nation, that seems to be the trend, that we become less and less focused on being thankful for what we have. You know, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it tells us to count it all joy. Count it all joy. You know, that includes the hardships, the trials, the disappointments, 
the health issues, all of those things. God wants us to be grateful because he's still watching over us in all of those. And he still loves us. Here, the psalmist starts out in Psalm 95 with an invitation. He says, come, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come. God is extending to each and every one of us an invitation to come and sing for joy to the Lord. Do you have anything to be joyful for? You woke up this morning, you were able to take that deep cleansing breath, right? And you were able to put your feet out on the floor. You had a safe place to sleep last night, I hope and pray. No one shot at you. No one dropped a bomb on your house. I think we we overlook the wonderful things that God does for us on a daily basis. Then he goes on to say this, let us shout joyfully. Well, I got one. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. We don't oftentimes shout in church, do we? Is your heart filled with joy? Do you have anything to shout about? Do you want the Lord to know that you're grateful for what he's done for you? Do you want the world to know what Jesus has done for you? Shout it from the mountaintop. Amen? God tells us in Revelation that that there's an angel that comes that announces the everlasting gospel with a whisper. No, a loud voice. A shout, if you will. Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. The psalmist, my friends, knew and understood, even in Old Testament times, that God was our salvation. And if that doesn't get you excited... I don't know what will. To think that we here on this sin-filled planet deserving to be destroyed by a holy God would send his own son here to die that we might have eternal life. That gets my heart pumping. Then he goes on And this invitation to say, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. An attitude of gratitude. Thanksgiving. You know, I don't know if it's your tradition, but it's been the tradition in our family that when we get together for Thanksgiving, we like to say what we're thankful for. So you've got to kind of prepare for that ahead of time. You've got to think, what did God do this year since we had Thanksgiving last that I could be thankful for? 
You know, Ellen White tells us one of the most dangerous things that could happen, I'm paraphrasing, one of the most dangerous things that could happen for us as believers is that we forget how God has led us in the past. And I think, dear friends, that Thanksgiving is a very prime opportunity for us to take that look back. Not to live in the past, not to dwell there, but to look back and see what God has done that you could be thankful for. And recount the blessings that he's given to you. You know, there's a couple of other texts. I'm going to turn to these real quick. I think they, they deserve our attention. First Samuel. This is about shouting. First Samuel 4.5. First Samuel 4, 5. Keep your finger there in Psalms if you want to turn with me in your Bibles. First Samuel chapter 4 and verse 5 says this. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel, how much? All, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. Amen? That's an earth-shaking event. After all, what did, the, what did the, that ark represent? It represented God's presence. Matt, uh, Rick, we're getting a little feedback there. It represented his presence. And shouldn't that be exciting? Shouldn't we want to celebrate that God is with us? Then in Psalm 47, not too far from where we're reading today Psalm 47 and verse 1 the psalmist says this oh clap your hands all people shout to God with the voice of joy amen now I'm not saying we need to you know change our worship service and we need to get start clapping and yelling in church but I'm saying we should be a little excited about serving the Lord, Amen. having Him present in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. We should not. We should not look like we got baptized in lemon juice. I want to read one last one: Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse ten. Deuteronomy eight verse ten. This is Moses writing. And he says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good of the land, which has... Uh, am I in the right place? I think that was the wrong text. Sorry. We'll, uh, but we, 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 want to, we want to understand that... The Lord is a blessing to us, amen? amen? And we should want to let him know. Now, does, is God an egomaniac? Does he need our praises to recognize and to, uh, to lift himself up? So why is it that God is asking us to praise him and, and, bring, uh, and bring the joy of our hearts out into the open and share it with him? Doesn't he know? He does know, my friends, but I'm going to tell you right now, 
that it does our hearts good. It's good for our spirit. It's good for us to be reminded of how great God is and how wonderful he is and to praise him. You know, uh, too often times I think our prayers become a, a prayer list to uh, a heavenly Santa Claus. Lord, please give me this. Lord, please give me that. That's terrible. Have you ever had anybody that just calls you up? The only time they call you up is when they need something from you. Don't you get tired of that? Have you ever had a friend that just calls you up just to say hi? Been thinking about you? Been praying for you? Just wanted to know that I care? Just wanted to talk to you. I just wanted to hear your voice. It's so sweet in my ears. You think that God feels that way sometimes? I wished my son or my daughter would just talk to me and tell me sweet things and let me know how much they love and care for me. I think any loving father would want that. Then the psalmist goes on, the latter part of verse 2, he says, Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know what psalms was. So I had to look it up. I said, that's interesting. The the Lord wants us to shout, you know, and uh, joyfully to him with psalms. Well, what are psalms? They're songs of praise or songs of triumph. So we can sing songs to the Lord. And I heard Brother Bob say earlier this morning, uh, before Sabbath school, that he he wanted us to sing a little louder because he wanted us to cover up his joyful noise to the Lord. You know, maybe... You're sitting out there, you're thinking, you know, I don't sing so well, Pastor. You know what? God doesn't care. God does not care if you can sing well or poorly. But you can sing to him songs of praise. You can sing to him songs of triumphs that he has accomplished in your life. Then the psalmist goes on to make these declarations. He says, for the Lord is a great God. Is that true? Is that true for you? Are there any other greater gods in your life? I hope that you can declare like the psalmist does, that God is a great God. He's awesome, isn't he? That's what the scriptures tell us elsewhere. We serve an awesome God. He is a great, great God. And he's a great king above all gods. You know, the Jewish people needed to hear that. Because unfortunately, they had at times strayed away from Jehovah. And they had taken up idols and false gods from the people in the land which they were supposed to have 
annihilated so that they wouldn't be influenced to serve their false gods. And the psalmist needed to remind them, and I think he still needs to remind us today, that there is nothing greater than the Almighty. We should have no other gods before him. Gods don't have to be made of stone and wood and carved in such a way that they look like some idol. We can make idols out of anything. We can make idols out of this church. Oh, by the way, just on a passing note, did you know that there's only room for one God in this church? That's it. Just one. But we, I see people make idols out of all kinds of things. Automobiles. You know? There are people out there that can afford to buy Lamborghinis and Ferraris and other fancy Italian sports cars. I won't mention the other kind because I'm Italian. (laughs) But they can make idols out of their homes. I've seen, I've been some places where there are homes that 30, 40, 50 million dollars and up. People make an idol out of those. They can make idols out of people. In fact, we have a show called American Idol. Didn't give anybody even a pause. We can make idols out of leaders and prominent speakers. But God says that there should be only one God. God tells us that he is a king above all gods. And then it goes on to say that in whose hand are the depths of the earth. So God is a God above all gods. He's a God all the way down to the lowest point. No matter how low you sink, God is still the God of all, above all gods. You know, I have found, and it's been my experience, my personal experience, so I'm not talking to you from theory, but from from real practical experience. It's been my experience, my personal experience, that sometimes the only time you look up is when you're flat on your back. You have to hit the lowest point in your life for some people before you understand that you need God in your life. Sadly, I have to say that that was my case. I had to hit rock bottom before God helped me to start going up. And I praise him because he's just kept me going up. And it's not me. It's him. And then he goes on, well, how far are we going to go? Well, The peaks of the mountains are his also. From the deepest depths to the highest point. Mount Everest. 29,000 feet, I think. Up where the jet aircraft fly. The sea is his. The sea. I was in the Navy for 13 years. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I have. 
I've been so far out to sea, there was no hope if you went overboard that you'd ever swim to shore. In fact, you couldn't see shore in any direction. Hundreds of miles out to sea. You'd be like a little cork floating in the water. Even in the immensity, there's nothing bigger than God. Not even the ocean. Not the universe. Why? Why should we praise and glorify him? For it was he who made it. My friends, if you're going to praise, give praise and thanksgiving to anything or anyone, it should be your creator. It should be the one who has created all things. And he, in his hands, has formed the dry land. And then another invitation the psalmist makes for us. Come, let us worship and bow down. I was taught not to bow to any man. But I have learned to to bow to the Almighty. I think that had the angels in heaven kept in mind who they were serving and bowed down in humbleness of heart, we wouldn't be in the boat that we're in now. We wouldn't be facing the things that we're facing if they worshipped and bowed down to him. Let us, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This is inclusive language, my friends. He goes on to say, for he is our God. That doesn't mean just the Christian, my friends. God is a God above all gods. He's a mighty God. He's a God of the Christians. He's the God of the Jews. He's the God of the atheist. He's the God of the Satanist. He's the God of the secular humanist, the evolutionist, the Muslim. All of them. This whole entire planet belongs to him and all that's in it. He is our God. And we, we are, his, uh, are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You know, I, it doesn't say if David wrote this. Some of the psalms were written by David and some were written by a psalmist, an unknown psalmist. But I suspect that perhaps David was the author of this one. Because this is shepherd language. You know, in the 23rd Psalm, it says that God leads us beside quiet waters. Have you ever wondered why that's there? Every shepherd knows that sheep will not drink from moving water. The rippling sound is enough to scare them away from the water. They're so afraid, they're so fearful. So the shepherds learn and know exactly where the waters are moving and where the waters are standing quiet. And the shepherd doesn't take the sheep to the place where they won't drink. 
The shepherd loves them and watches over them and leads them to the place where it's quiet and still so they will drink. And he leads them into his pastures, which, my friend, they are green and plush. They're ripe. They're filled with everything that you need. Trust me when I tell you that the world out there has nothing to offer good to you. All that is good can be found in God's green pasture. All that you need, my friends, is found in His pasture. You don't need to wander beyond its boundaries. There's nothing good out there for you. Today, my friends, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts, my friends. I hope and pray that you have heard the voice of the Lord today. I hope and pray that these words that I have spoken to you are not mine but his. And I pray that you would hear them and receive them into your hearts. And may God transform you. And may he be the rock of your salvation. And may we have joy in our hearts as we sing praise to him. So let us sing together our closing hymn. Hymn number 27. Rejoice ye pure in heart.